chapter number four. It's a good thing I've got a little extra time tonight because I've got a lot of material to cover. So praise the Lord for that. Um, I was really struggling about breaking this last section up into s- multiple sermons, but man, you know, I, I, I read and prayed and I just kept thinking, you know, really, this is just, it's really good to just digest this whole thing as, as one unit. And just, I know we've been a little disjointed on Wednesday nights and, and, and trying to come back and finish this series. Next week, I'll do another Christmas sermon and then we're taking two weeks off of Wednesday night Bible study during Christmas. And so just keep that in mind that when we come back in January, uh, those of, we'll have two options for Bible study in January. We'll have a group of us are going to be studying how God uh, needs to use and restrain and work in our tongues, okay? So it's going to be a 10-week Bible study on the tongue and our words. And then Aaron is going to be doing a 10-week Bible study on how to study the Bible. And so those two things are going to be going on at the same time on Wednesday night as well as the youth Bible study and all the children's classes. Uh, once that is finished, I will then return to a verse-by-verse study. But So I'm going to finish. I said all I'd say. I'm going to finish 2 Timothy tonight, okay? That's why I said all that. So let me begin reading where we left off. And we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're in verse number 9. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Titus, excuse me, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I have, that, excuse me, that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left and Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. This is God's word. And I want to draw your attention to this statement that is made in verse number 21. Do your utmost to come before winter. This is, of course, the very last and final appeal of the Apostle Paul. In fact, scripturally speaking, the very last word that Paul ever wrote under inspiration of the scripture uh, was amen. Now, Paul may have corresponded with others after this, but we don't know for sure. 
We don't know if Paul wrote personal letters after this, but what we do know is that the very last inspired words of the Apostle Paul are these words that I just read before you. We've learned as we've studied this passage of Scripture that Paul was in prison for the second time and the final time in a Roman prison. Paul has gone through enormous uh, trials and struggles. In fact, I would argue that this is basically what his life has been about. His life has been a constant um, attack of Satan. He was constantly separated from friends, opposed by the enemy. And now we find a vulnerable Paul writing some very vulnerable words to Timothy. And it really humanizes Paul in a lot of ways, really. And yet these inspired words teach us something, frankly, about loneliness and how to die well. And Paul here says something to Timothy. He says in verse number 9, he says, Be diligent to come quickly. And then in verse 21, he says, do your utmost to come before winter. Some suggest that Paul wrote this uh, as the fall season was setting on the country of Italy and particularly the city of Rome where he was in prison. So as the chilly night seasons came and the frost was coming uh, in the dead of night, Paul was well aware of how difficult uh, the winter was going to be upon him in this prison that he was locked up in. And so I think this is an interesting appeal. He says, I want you to come quickly and I want you to come before winter because there's some things I need and there's some things that I need you to do and I need these things done before winter. And I think for all of us, there, there's a message here that we should all hear and that is this. Our opportunity to do what we are called to do has a season to it. Every single person in the world has a winter season coming. Everybody has a finish line that we're going to cross. Everybody has a final amen that is going to be said or written in your life. And as we look at what Paul is going through, I think we can learn some things about life and how we're to interact with people and how we're to finish well. While closing out this letter, Paul is giving instruction to Timothy as a man who will assume much responsibility. You know there's a certain finality to these words. And while in this text there's much of it that seems irrelevant, right? Who is Eusebius and who is Claudia and what does all this mean? I think there is some personal uh, information about Paul and Timothy. There is, however, much that can be learned about humanity, human needs, and finishing well that all of us can learn from. And so I want to start this by looking at this truth that there was a disappointing report. One thing that you will learn if you're going to serve God like the Apostle Paul did, if you're going to finish your course like we learned about a couple weeks ago, is that you're going to have to withstand and endure the disappointing report of other people who started with you, but they did not finish with you. And anybody, I think, that serves the Lord for any length of time in their life is going to have to face that reality. That if I'm going to finish my course well and with joy, it by necessity means that there are other people that aren't going to finish the course with me. I mean, isn't that just the reality? I mean, if you've been a Christian for more than two months, you know that there are some people who may have entered this race with you and there are some people who used to sit near you and some people that you used to fellowship with in the body of Christ are no longer with them or no longer among you. And the truth of the matter is, the longer you go in Christian living and Christian ministry, 
You will find that life can at times be lonely, frankly, because some people will forsake God and follow their own way, and that creates a crisis for many people. And he mentions specifically in this text two different people, and both of them have an edge of sadness, no doubt, as Paul wrote them. Look, look at verse number 10. Right after he says, come to me quickly, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Now, obviously, because of what Paul says to Timothy in verse number 9, Demas, I believe, had forsaken Paul while he was in Rome and had left an immediate void in Paul's life. I mean, when, when you look back at Acts chapter number 28, you, you see that when Paul was in his first imprisonment, Paul had a team of people, and Paul was around people all the time. In fact, it was more like house arrest with a lot of flexibility. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is to be a Christian here and now was very dangerous. It was very scary. People were dying by the hundreds and thousands. And to be associated with the Apostle Paul at this point okay, was not exactly something that you would want to put on your resume if you were trying to land a job in Rome. And so you can almost, look, let's sympathize a little bit with Demas here because it's at least understandable why he would run and quit. And I think there's another interesting thing about this verse here. It says, having loved this present world. Now, I have heard my fair share of preaching on this verse before, but i got to tell you, most of the preaching that I've heard on verse number 10 is completely inaccurate, and I'll tell you why. When you read that verse on the outset, you would be tempted to think that the word that is translated world in verse number 10 is the typical word translated world like you would find in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. How many of you ever, how many of you ever heard somebody talk about somebody being worldly? Have you ever heard that? Okay, that's, that's what we're typically talking about. We're, talk, we're talking about the cosmos is the Greek word. And the cosmos refers to the order the arrangement, the way people live, the way people think, and the way people act outside of God. That's what the world is. It's when you conform your life to a different mode, not the mode of Christ. And you let things like the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life guide you. And look, there's a, there is absolutely a problem. With that. And there's, 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 there's a, a fair share of people in life that do turn their back on God for said reasons. The lust of money, the lust of power, the lust of things, materialism certainly have taken out its fair share of people. But I want you to know that in verse number 10, that is not the Greek word that is translated world here. In fact, that word is a Greek word, ion, A-I-O-N. And rather than referring to um, the cosmos or the order of the, the way things are done, the, the philosophy, it is more referring to an age, Okay, when Jesus says, uh, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the word he uses there. He's saying here that it wasn't so much that, Tim, that, that Demas was worldly because he was, he was hungry for money, he was hungry for stuff, he was hungry for power. That's not what it's saying. It's saying this, that when, Paul, when, when Demas assessed his life in companionship with the apostle Paul and Saul, what the Apostle Paul was facing, instead of following the Apostle Paul to certain death or sacrificial living for the cause of Christ, he basically said something like this. Look, man, I just want to live my life. I'm just going to be here. Look, this is my age. This is my time. I'm only going to be here for a season. And while I'm here, I'm going to at least enjoy it. Well, folks, listen. While both are different, both are equally as bad. Do you realize 
that there are some people who the reason they're not following God, the reason they're turning their back on God, really is not because their philosophy is so bent toward uh, a satanic influence of a power or money or prestige or anything like that. It's simply because the, the cost of following Jesus is too steep. And it requires something of my time, of my devotion, of my energy, of my life. Colossians 3 says we're to set our affection on the things above. It says that Christ is our life. And look, look, I got to tell you, friends, there is something about Christianity, in the Bible at least, that is this all-consuming, all-encompassing, saturated life of complete sacrifice and surrender to Jesus Christ. And the reason it's so foreign to many of us is because it's just not the way that many of us or the culture around us really lives. They're more concerned with this age. What's going on around them? Family and friends and fun and activities, whatever. None of those things are bad. But when those things will keep you from devotion to Christ, that's what Paul was addressing here. And this is particularly sad for Paul because Paul uh, uh, calls uh, Demas a beloved brother in Colossians 4.14. He calls him uh, a fellow uh, laborer in Philemon chapter uh, verse 24. And this is what's interesting. Colossians and Philemon are both prison epistles. Now, as I said before, Paul's first Roman imprisonment was not quite as bad. So guess who was hanging out when the prison sentence wasn't that bad? Demas. But when the prison sentence meant death, okay, Demas was gone. And it just shows where his affection was. I'm not blaming him for being fearful or scared. I'm just simply saying he put Paul in a pinch because he went running when things got tough, okay? Now look at the verse number 14. We see a second guy that turned away from the Lord. It says here in verse number 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Here's a man that didn't run away from Paul. Here's a man that resisted Paul and attacked Paul. He was a, a modern-day church problem person, okay? A guy that just couldn't keep his mouth closed. A guy that had to oppose and withstand everything that Paul did. I'm not saying everything that Paul did was right. I mean, he wasn't Christ, okay? I'm not saying he always had a right attitude. I'm not saying he always handled things well. But I think we all know that he was a man of God, a person that loved the Lord, a person that pushed forward by faith. And here was at his right hand, okay, somebody who felt like it was their God-given job to resist to fight and oppose what he was doing. May I just remind us all tonight, nobody in this room or any church room, it, that's your assignment from God. Nobody's been endowed with, by Christ with the gift of criticism. Nobody's been endowed or gifted by the Holy Spirit in the church with the gift of opposition to leadership and all things that are right and godly. And that's what Alexander was. Alexander was a guy who was constantly opposing what had happened. It doesn't really matter why it happened. Here's what happened. Two men that he loved, two men that he used to shoulder to shoulder with, two men that he used to battle with, labor with, and love God with are now gone. I remember my first really, really tough experience with this was a day in California when my phone rang, and uh, on the other end was one of my best friend's wives. What, what, that's not the right way to say that. Wife. That's the way I was supposed to say. Wife sounded really suspicious there. Used the wrong word. Let me back that up. It was his wife, okay? Uh, and she just said, you need to call 
so-and-so. And I, I had no context of the phone call, but I just remember saying, why? What's going on? She just said, you need to call him right now. And man, I, I just hung the phone, kind of swallowed hard, and I, I, I just, my next call was him. And as soon as, as soon as he picked up the phone, he said, he said, she's gone. She's gone. I said, what are you talking about, man? He said, my wife left me. She's gone. She's, she's on the interstate heading out of Los Angeles. She's on her way to Michigan. And that was the beginning of the end of their relationship, his ministry, frankly, his walk with God. I remember, I remember going down, he, pa- he pastored in Burbank about 40, 45 minutes from where we were. I remember driving down that night, sitting with the church was that night. I remember preaching for him that night and ultimately even the next Sunday going back, standing up with him as he resigned. I stood there right beside of him in the pulpit when he resigned his church. And then, and then, you know, over the next couple of months, trying to help him hold things together, end up moving, lost his church, lost all of his career, moved out to New England somewhere. I remember a few months later going out there to see him, sat with him half the night in a restaurant, trying to put all the pieces together, trying to figure out what was going on. Meanwhile, his wife's now with a motorcycle gang, literally in the state of Michigan, got, got pregnant within a couple months of leaving. It was just absolutely chaos. And now, I mean, now, several years later, you, you can't find him. I have no idea where he is. He's not, there's no social media trace, no phone number. Can't touch him. I mean, I, he, he was the guy that got me connected to a job that I had for eight years in California. He was the very reason I was out there. He was my closest ministry friend. And to watch his family crumble and disintegrate. You get this picture of the old Civil War battles when the guys are lined up, marching toward the enemy, and the enemy fires a shot, and you just see them just randomly drop. And then you see the rest of the guys just keep marching. Well, that's what this is like. And people will fall. And and people will get shot out of the saddle. And people will crumble. And what Paul tells me is, although although he was disappointed, I mean, Paul, without a doubt... Continued to serve God even though he had this this disappointing uh, report that he had to share with Timothy. Secondly, we see a conflicting reality. Now here's the other side of this. Paul is now going to say that there were some people who left because they failed. Because they turned their back on God. But now he's going to mention how that sometimes life can be lonely because ministry sometimes will limit your interaction with other people. In other words, along the journey of life, because we're serving the Lord or we're supposed to be serving the Lord, what's going to happen? God's going to take people and relocate people and he's going to have assignments for people all over the place. He's going to have things for them to do and guess what? That means that your fellowship here on this earth is going to be limited. Look, my best friends in ministry do not live in Jacksonville. He mentions, I mean, let's just go to verse number, uh, look, look at verse number 10 at the end here. He says, after, after, after Demas forsook him, it says here at the end, Crescens has been assigned to Galatia, and Titus has left for Dalmatia. Okay, only Luke is with me, and Luke was Paul's medical, medical uh, doctor. Luke is also the guy that wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke, of course. And so, so he was his attending physician in prison. But notice this, notice this, he says he's there, and then then if you go down uh, to uh, verse number uh, 19, he talks about how that uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are are, are to be greeted, 
and, and arguably they are where Timothy is, more than likely Ephesus, and I'll point that out in a minute. By the way, Ephesus is 1,500 miles from Rome. That would be like going from here to, to the other side of Texas, okay, or something like that. He says here, uh, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but look at this. Uh, so Erastus is in Corinth, that's the other side of the, the, the uh, Macedonian area. Uh, then he says, um, uh, do your, your utmost to come by winter, Eubulus greets you, etc. And I'm missing the one verse I wanted to point out is where it says Tychicus. Oh yeah, verse 12, Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. So, so here, get the picture. So Timothy is in Ephesus leading the church. He's called for Timothy to come back, right, to minister to him. And, and when he does that, he says, now I want you to know, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. Which means, Paul's telling Timothy here, I've got Ephesus covered, I want you to come here. So think about this, Ephesus is 1,500 miles away, his best friend, his closest colleague, and his mentee is 1,500 miles away, preaching the gospel in Ephesus. Is that awesome? Yes. Does it make you lonely sometimes? Yes. Dalmatia, he talks about Crescens going to Dalmatia. If you look at a Bible map, Dalmatia is on the other side of the Adriatic Sea from Italy. If you, you, know, you know, Italy's the boot, right? Italy's the boot. There's a sea right on the eastern side of Italy. That's the Adriatic Sea. The region just to the east of that is, uh, is Dalmatia. And although it's not as far as Ephesus, Ephesus is way over in Asia Minor, it's not like it's a hop, skip, and a jump, particularly when you don't have airplanes and you're traveling by foot or maybe by boat. So he's got a preacher over here in Dalmatia that says there's another guy over here in Galatia. Now, if you were looking at a Bible map, of course, you know that Italy is way over here in the west in Europe. But this is the area that we know of as Asia Minor. Okay, Paul's first missionary journey took him up through Asia Minor and to the area of Galatia. And so Galatia is way far east of Dalmatia, and this is where Titus is. So Titus is way over here in Galatia. Crescens is way over here in Dalmatia. Paul, uh, excuse me, Timothy's way over in Ephesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? What I am telling you is that when, when, when you are serving God, there are going to be times where God is going to uproot people that you love by God's call, and he's going to send them somewhere else far away, and, and somehow we've got to be able to be okay with that. I mean, are we not living that right here at the church right now? Getting ready to send our youth pastor to God-forsaken Ohio. Okay. It must be God. Okay. There ain't no way. That's a long way, man. That's a long way from, you know, working with somebody for three years side by side, shoulder by shoulder. You know, you send, you send Stephen, you send Mike. Oh then, oh, then you send Jerry. Oh, yeah, that's close. Paraguay. Y'all see what I'm saying? There, there are times where ministry will separate us and it will send us out to do things for God. And when that happens, what do we do? We press on. Hey, listen, we're going to have all of eternity to sit on the other side and talk about and rejoice about what we did here. But in the meantime, it's okay to scatter and serve God wherever God's called us to go. And look, I, I rejoice, although it's hard to do what I do. It's hard to send guys out. You think I don't send out the people that I'm closest to? The people that I know the best? The people that I have more in common with than anybody else in the whole church? Preachers? People love God? People want to serve God? And then you just send them? Well, I'd love for them to be here so I could go to, you know, Maple Street Biscuit Company and have fellowship, okay? 
but you don't always get to do that. It's not the way it works. I'll never forget, I was finishing up seminary. No, I'm sorry. My brother-in-law was finishing up seminary. I was already in ministry. I can't remember what year this was. So my wife grew up in Kansas City, and at, the, at one time, it was a very large church, very influential, had a seminary. A lot of guys that were coming through there preaching, being sent out, including me. I went to seminary there. And so Angie, Angie's brother, Dan, grew up there at church, went off to College of Bob Jones University, came back and got a four-year you know, post-grad degree there. So, I mean, it, this is his home. It's, it's where he grew up. Then, then he comes back for seminary. I think his first child was born there. Well, his, his younger brothers, that's Dan and Steve, or excuse me, Steve and Mark, were kind of still there. They live in Kansas City. They weren't ministry guys, so they went out and got their college trained. They come back to Kansas City, and they're working jobs. This is their life. They, live, they still live there. They work in Kansas City. They're, they, they work in insurance. They work in, uh, you know, uh, uh, I forget, uh, one of them's a computer uh, technician. So you got an IT guy, you got an insurance guy living life like some of you do, right? You're just doing life. You're a teacher. You're a, you're a construction worker. You're, a, you're, a, you're an insurance salesman. You're a, you know, you know, whatever you are, okay, teachers, whatever else you guys do. You're just kind of like, you're, you're dialed in on life, right? You know, people like that don't move a whole lot, not very often. They go, they settle in life. This is life. This is where I live. This is my job. This is what I do. I'm from Kansas City. I will never forget. I will never forget the afternoon where the U-Haul truck was packed up out in the driveway. And Dan and his wife and their young baby were getting ready to drive up to Chicago for their first ministry assignment. Where they have been now for over a decade. I will never forget watching Steve and Mark cry like little kids. Off he went. Off he went. That's not easy to do. That is not easy to do. But that's what happens, guys. And I will never apologize here for being a church that is okay to see people raised up to serve the Lord. I'm talking about a day for some of us that we're looking forward to when hopefully our kids and our grandkids are going to do the same thing. I'm talking about I have no interest, okay, unless God wants. Listen to me. Please, I hope I don't sound ugly. I have no interest unless God specifically is in it that my kids come and live across the street from me for a lot of reasons, okay? Now, if God wants my kids in Jacksonville, fine, but you know what I want for my kids more than them to live in Jacksonville and live on a little piece of property with me and build 15 houses, you know, in a row and have my grandkids at every event? You want to know what I want more than that? I want God's will to be done. I want God to launch my kids out of this little arrow sack he's given me and fire them off for his glory somewhere, wherever that is, wherever that target is. That should be everybody's heart in this room. And that's what Paul experienced. He experienced the fact that sometimes because we're serving God, God is going to take those that we love and send them out to serve God. Thirdly, what you see in verses 16 through 18 is that Paul also had a hopeful reassurance. Okay, now, basically what you're learning here is Paul's lonely. Would you agree with that? Only Luke is with me. I'm sure Luke was a great guy. I'm not really sure how Luke felt about that comment right there, right? Well, what's wrong with me, man? But he says that. Only Luke is here. 
And Luke was a great man, no doubt about it. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke is the one that gave us the official account of the church in the book of Acts. It's powerful. And yet Paul is simply saying, look, I'm all by myself here. And then he gives a statement in verse number 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Paul is specifically talking here about standing in front of a judge like appearing in trial. He had no prosecuting or no defense attorney. He had no witnesses. Y'all hear me? He, he just, I, I was there, I was all by myself, and nobody was there. And just about the time he started thinking that he did not have a defense attorney and he did not have a witness, all of a sudden he flips around in verse number 17 and says, well, actually, all along, I did have a defense attorney and I did have a witness. Amen? It was the Lord. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He was ever present with me. He was standing there all along right beside me, giving me what I needed. When Hey, when everybody else was running out, for whatever reason they were running out, that's when God was running into me. That's what we need to know about God tonight. When everybody else runs out, that's when God is running in. He said, here's why. Why did God stand with me and strengthen me? Here it is. Watch this. So that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Just, hey, mark that little word fully down and take hope in something that I'm getting ready to say. You're not done until God's done. Notice that word fully. Nobody is going to be singing Amazing Grace at your funeral until God's work has been fulfilled in your life. In that sense, you are absolutely invincible. Because nobody that stands against you is ever going to be able to take you out until God says it's okay. And he says here that, that until my ministry has been fully executed, and whatever it was, I don't know what Paul still had left to do. We know from his previous imprisonment that he was able to preach the gospel to many people. It could be that he's talking about the ministry of, of, that he had with all these men that he's talking about. This, this, this multiplication idea. But whatever it was, Paul stood in confidence and said, Look, Christ is going to... He did this. He stood with me and strengthened me. Here's why. So that my message might be fully uh, brought out to the Gentiles. I think that's powerful. And then he says, also I was delivered out of the mouth of lions. There could be some debate about what he's talking about there. More than likely, he is saying that there has already been a time that I thought my execution was going to happen. And God let me live another day. And the lion, some people try to suggest that was the devil. I think you're playing with the text there a little bit. I think what he's obviously talking about, he's talking about some very dangerous circumstance that God snatched me out of there like he did Daniel in the lion's den. He's saying that whatever that lion was, that's my opinion, that's what I think it was. And then he says this, and watch this, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever. In other words, he is going to be eternally delivering me. He did deliver me. He did stand with me. He's always been standing with me. He's always going to be standing with me. Isn't that great truth to know if you're a lonely person? Here, let's just face it. Christmas is not that great for everybody. It's just not. And look, don't take that wrong. You should celebrate. I'm going to celebrate. I'm not going to not celebrate because somebody else is not. But I do need to remember that it's not always happy for everybody because not everybody has people to celebrate it with. Friend, if you've got anybody to celebrate with, you should be thankful for that. Even if, even if it's somebody in your church. 
So he says here, look, God is going to continue to deliver me. And, and I am lonely, but at least I've got the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you very quickly six applications to take away from all this. What, when he says, do what, you, look, do what you're going to do, but do it before winter, I think all of us should take that to heed tonight and think to ourselves, what should we be doing before the winter sunset sets in? What should, okay, Paul's given us all this application. What should we do with people, with ourselves? I wrote down six things, okay? Number one, what should you, you should recount what you can. Recount what you can. While you're still here, while God has blessed you, here's what you can do. You can recount what God has done. That's what Paul did. He recounted relationships. He recounted God's work. He recounted what God was doing. And yes, there were a lot of things that were going wrong. But how many of you would agree with me? He had a whole lot of things going right for him too, didn't he? He had a lot of things that he had experienced, that he had done. And, and I think we would do right to do the same thing. Uh, don't you think that we all could say, even, even if winter is harsh in our lives right now, even if the Christmas season is not going to be all that some people crack it up to be, wouldn't you at least say this? God has done something, and there have been some positive things that have happened. That's what Paul points out. Secondly, encourage who you can. Encourage who you can. He makes these statements about these people, greeting them, encouraging them, uh, these people were on assignment. Uh, by the way, my favorite one in this whole text, I kind of skipped it on purpose. Look in verse number, um, uh, oh boy, I forgot to write this one down. Look at verse number 11. There it is, verse 11. Only Luke, Lucas would be, but look at this. Get Mark and bring him to me because he's profitable to me for ministry. Now just, just hold your horses for just a second. Now listen to this. Now back in Acts chapter 13, John Mark was with Paul on the first missionary journey. And when they get to Pamphylia and Phrygia up on the southern coast of the, excuse me, the northern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, it got so hard and difficult that John Mark decided to desert them. You fast forward to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, they're getting ready to reload from Antioch and go back out on the second missionary journey. And Paul says to Barnabas, let's go see how the churches and the brothers do. And then the Bible says Barnabas decided he wanted to take John Mark with him, the same guy that left them hanging back in chapter 13. And you know what Paul said? No. No way. This little snot-nosed brat kid that doesn't even need to shave yet, no way. Right? But the Bible says that, that Paul decided to take Silas, being recommended to the brethren, but Barnabas went ahead and took John Mark, and they split, and they went on two separate missionary journeys. Well, look at him now. How you like me now? Now you go to the end, and what is he now? He's profitable. He's profitable for ministry. By the way, he is going to record the very first New Testament book, Mark. And this kid has now turned it around. Can you imagine when Timothy rattled on Mark's door and said, Hey, pack your bag. We're going to Rome. Paul's ready for you now. Can you imagine how awesome that would have been? After several years of failing, now God was using him. Okay, number three, do what you can. Do what you can. Don't you love this, man? Come on. At any second, Paul's going to lose his head, history tells us. And what is he doing? Still writing. Still directing traffic. 
Send him here. Send him here. Send him here. Bring him here. You bring. You go here. He goes there. You go there. Man, I love this. Is the general okay? This is the general littered with bullet holes on the battlefield, about to fall over dead, and he's still calling the shots. I like this. This is powerful. But then you know, what? there's something even better here. Look at this. He says in verse 13, "Bring the cloak." That I left with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. That's the fourth thing. Learn what you can. Is this not striking to anybody else? What does Paul not know at this point? What does Paul not preach at this point? What has he not read at this point? But what does he say? I want some books. I love this. Especially the parchments. That would more than likely be a reference to the sacred writings that Paul had access to. Probably a scroll of Isaiah, uh, maybe a scroll of a New Testament piece that maybe had already been gone around by this point. Here Paul was saying, I I want some books, I want a coat because I'm cold. He said, but here's what I want, especially, oh come on, especially the word of God. Especially the word of God. Boy, I'll tell you something, you're never too old to be discipled. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to grow. The only time that you don't need to grow anymore, learn anymore, or be discipled anymore is when you're dead. How about number five? Help who you can. Help who you can. Paul is encouraging Timothy as he is during this entire book. He's encouraging Mark. He is helping who he can. He, he gives him a piece of advice. Verse number 14 about Alexander. He never stopped giving advice. He never stopped encouraging. He helped who he can. And then finally commit while you can. Do what you can. Learn what you can. Help who you can. Recount what you can. Encourage who you can. And commit while you can. Work for the night is coming. When man's work is through. And that's what Paul did. What a testimony. You ever somebody say he left it all out on the field? That's what he did. He left it all out on the field. No question where his loyalty lied. All the way to the end. May God help us to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to study your word tonight. We pray that our testimony would be that like Paul's. We pray by your grace and with your help. That no matter how lonely and challenging the things we experience might be, that we'll be found faithful and standing and firm, true to the gospel, true to your work. Use our church, I pray, in Christ's name, amen and amen. All right, well, uh, we're done a few minutes early. I'm sure the teams will probably go all the way till 7.30 tonight. Don't forget about Sunday. We are having a small reception for Casey and... um, Andy, after the wedding ceremony and the service, it's going to be right in here. And so if you will help us by being there, if you would like to help them maybe with a gift, gift card somewhere to help them get some things they might need for their home, that would be awesome, okay? All right. Well, God bless. Do we need to do anything here? Could you could use some help in here? We're good? Okay. Enjoy some fellowship. If, I, if you need me for anything, I'll be right here. God bless you.